Louisiana Eats is brought to you with support from Zatarans, maker of New Orleans pantry staples like Creole mustard, fish fry, and jambalaya mix since 1889. Recipes and more at Zatarans.com. From our studios in the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans, this is Louisiana Eats. I'm Poppy Tooker. Is your guiltiest pleasure food TV? Do you like your reality TV served up by the likes of Chef Gordon Ramsay? On this week's episode, we're talking to people who have participated in food TV in its various forms with varying results. Earlier this year, Gambit food writer Helen Freund published an exploration of this topic from a local point of view. Helen shares what she learned, and then we'll hear from Ragnar Carlson, whose restaurant, The Trolley Stop Cafe, was featured in the season premiere of 24 Hours to Helen Back with Gordon Ramsay. Ragnar's plan was to give his restaurant a much-needed boost. But was it worth it? He'll give us the details and explain how unreal reality TV can be. Finally, our friend Chef Isaac Toops joins us. From his rise to fame on Top Chef to his new series for the Food Network, Food TV has been very, very good to Isaac. But when it comes to me, reality food TV? Change the channel, please on this week's Louisiana Eats. In February 2019, a classic French Quarter restaurant called the Old Coffee Pot closed its doors after 125 years in business. Known for its Creole-style breakfasts, the little spot on St. Peter Street was beloved by generations of diners and was one of the few places in the city that still served traditional rice cala. The owner explained to the New Orleans Advocate that the decision to close was due to the culmination of many factors, including a decline in business, which was squeezed even further due to street construction. Another setback? A 2018 episode of the reality show 24 Hours to Hell and Back that infamously featured TV chef Gordon Ramsay pulling a dead mouse out of a toaster. Oh, No! You are kidding me. There's a mouse in here. A mouse? That is toast. The whole episode oh is agonizing to watch. The owner and staff are on the receiving end of all kinds of humiliation and abuse from Ramsey. Yet every year, it seems like more New Orleans restaurants become the subject of Gordon Ramsay's wrath. Why are so many local chefs and owners choosing to open themselves up for that kind of exploitation? To explore that subject, I invited journalist Helen Freund into our Louisiana Eats studio. Helen is the restaurant critic and dining editor at Gambit Weekly. 
At the start of 2019, she wrote a front-page article about the positive and negative effects food TV hosts like Ramsey and Guy Fieri have had on local restaurants. Helen filled this in on what she uncovered. We, you know, my editor and I had kind of started talking about doing a story like this a while ago, and it, it was sort of partially... Um, inspired by a couple of other stories that were done on the national level about other small-town restaurants um, and and what happened to them when they were listed on, like, a top ten list or they were paid a visit by Guy Fieri or Gordon Ramsay. And it just sort of seemed like New Orleans in particular, because we've got such a robust tourist economy and certainly the restaurant and the dining scene makes up a huge chunk of that, that it would be a really interesting thing to look at just to kind of see, you know, what does happen to a smaller restaurant in a city like New Orleans where restaurants are really dependent on getting those tourism dollars, right? Um, So, yeah, I interviewed a couple of different people for the story. Um, I think across the board, you know, the question of is it good or is it bad – the consensus was most press is good press. And I think from a small business perspective, you know, if we're thinking about a restaurant that really doesn't have an advertising budget, that can't afford marketing, that certainly can't afford to hire a public relations liaison, um, they look at some of these opportunities as a way to get free advertising, as a way to sort of stay on the map. And it can really make or break them. The problem with a, a show like Gordon Ramsay's is that the approach is so different, right? It's This is a makeover approach. This is someone coming in to, you know, an allegedly failing restaurant and telling them, you're doing things wrong, let me set you straight. Um, with the premise being that when the show wraps, you know, here we'll have a restaurant that is all of a sudden functioning better and able to survive and make it. Um, I think the problem is that's not always the case. You talked with several people who experienced the scrutiny <laughs> of Gordon Ramsay. Um, Oceana Grill... I know you tried to talk to the coffee pot. And then, of course, um, our latest focus, Ragnar Carlson at the trolley stop. What did you uncover from all those experiences? So what was interesting is that, you know, really across the board, anyone who had a positive experience was willing to speak. Um, And then the ones that didn't were not. So I contacted Oceana Grill, who are now currently suing Gordon Ramsay's production company. Um, And I also tried to contact the old coffee pot. Oceana Grill didn't even get back to me. And the manager at the old coffee pot made it pretty clear that they were not interested in speaking about their experience. But Ragnar who had, you know, his his restaurant was just about to be featured, spoke to me quite candidly about what it was like. And it was interesting. He he was very open about the fact that he was belittled publicly, that at some point he was a, a piece of meat was thrown in his face. Um, he was basically told that he was not doing his job well. Um, and he felt that despite how humiliating some of these experiences might have been, you know, if in the end it could help his restaurant survive, that it would all be worth it. Lord, a 24-hour-a-day business is hard to run. Yeah, yeah. It's fascinating to me that chefs seem to have their own experience. You know, my goodness, look what it's done for Isaac Toops. Oh, yeah, yeah. That really changed his career. Yeah, and shows like MasterChef and Top Chef, I think, have always that's – that's an interesting point to point out because I feel like you think that the experience is going to be one that's going to be really great. And a lot of the times, like with Nina Compton, we've seen the same thing, right? Um, 
But I think that there are – at the end of the day, it is still reality television, right? And it is still – there are producers, I think, behind the scenes maybe making some cuts that as viewers we're not aware of and maybe making some people look not quite the way they would like to look. And Oceana Grill's lawsuit is really partially based on the fact that even though that experience was years ago, thanks to the gift of reruns (laughs) and even social media. Yeah, they even do social (laughs) Mm -hmm. media about it. So the punishment seems to be never ending. Right, exactly. And I think in this case, there was a particularly grotesque uh, video of Gordon smelling some, you know, allegedly rancid shrimp and then vomiting. Have you watched any of it? I have watched um, – I've watched the old coffee pot footage and I've watched the – Never got over the mouse. The mouse is really – you know, So cruel. What's funny about that – or not funny, but almost what I felt was the worst. There's this scene where this manager is fired um, on the show, on air, in a very sort of public and humiliating manner. And she starts crying and it's – I don't know. As a viewer, I thought that was kind of heartbreaking and sort of a little callous and maybe not necessary to include. <laughs> You know what really got my goat the most about that Gordon Ramsay at the old coffee pot episode? Mm-hmm. Do, do, do you remember the part where he started this fantastic new takeout business? Oh, yes. The the beignets to go. The beignets <laughs> to go. And the, for years, I have told people the only place in New Orleans where I know you can get traditional cala, one of my... Uh, foods that I've been working to save forever was at the old coffee pot. Yeah. They always served Kella. So Gordon Ramsay must not have understood it and turned it into a beignet moment. Yeah, no. And also beignets to go. I do remember watching that footage and it was sort of, you know, people leaving with coffee, iced coffees in hand and beignets in bags and it, it didn't seem right. No, <laughs> it didn't seem right and it wasn't real. So I wonder how that goes because Gordon sort of assisted the trolley stop into changing some of their food. Yeah. I mean, it seems like they come in, he he looks at the menu or whoever it is, looks at the menu and decides these dishes are going to work and these aren't. But as we've seen with some of the, the sort of the backlash on Facebook and social media after the episode aired, a lot of people were really unhappy with, with seeing some of their, I don't know, like beloved food items, po'boys, changed into something else. And that, I think, is another problem with some of the, you know, getting these big makeover shows to come in is that you're kind of alienating the locals that have been dining at these restaurants for years, right? And if there's a yeah. place in the world not to alienate the locals, <laughs> it's probably New Orleans. What do you think, (laughs) Helen? (laughs) For sure. (laughs) Helen Freund covers food and dining for the Gambit Weekly and is a regular contributor at the New Orleans Advocate. Since its closing, the historic old coffee pot has changed hands. It's now Café Beignet at the Old Coffee Pot. And yes, Kala is on the menu. Coming up next, Ragnar Carlson went to hell and back in 24 hours when Gordon Ramsay paid an unexpected visit to his family's Trolley Stop Café. Ragnar tells us all about his experience when Louisiana Eats returns after a break. 
Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with major support from Camellia Brand, Beans Done Right, a New Orleans tradition since 1923, and from Ralph Brennan's Redfish Grill, home of the award-winning barbecue oyster Poor Boy, and nine varieties of fresh gulf fish caught and served daily. Lunch, dinner, and private events at 115 Bourbon Street in the French Quarter. If you're just joining us, on this week's Louisiana Eats, we're taking a hard look at reality food TV and the impact it has on participating local restaurants and chefs after the cameras stop rolling. Let's get one thing out of the way. If you haven't noticed already, I have never been a huge fan of reality food TV. In fact, I'd never watched a throwdown until after I was the unwitting participant in one that pitted my gumbo against Bobby Flay's. By the way, I won, but my love for Bobby Flay does not compare to the distaste I have for Gordon Ramsay's variety of TV. To me, Shows like Kitchen Nightmares and 24 Hours to Hell and Back come off as more exploitation than entertainment, and I get especially defensive when it's a New Orleans restaurant in the firing line. Which is why I wanted to speak with the owner behind the restaurant that was the focus of 24 Hours to Hell and Back's season two premiere. Uh, Hello, my name is Ragnar Carlson, and I'm the owner and operator of the Trolley Stop Cafe. Since 1995, the St. Charles Avenue Greasy Spoon, the Trolley Stop, has been a draw for New Orleanians who want good food at a good price in a cozy atmosphere. Louisiana Eats listeners may remember back in 2016 when we visited the diner at 2 in the morning and interviewed a contented flock of night owls. We've probably been here four times in the past four months. Love it. There are not many diners down here in New Orleans, and so it's kind of like a little piece of home for me. (laughs) We enjoy the food. You will probably enjoy the food, and everybody loves the food here at Charlie Stop. (laughs) Here's what Gordon Ramsay had to say about the restaurant more recently on his show. Look at that under there. Cut the down. That was not clean a week ago. It's like a war zone. What is that smell? That's your nacho cheese. Oh my God, look at that. What's wrong with you? You serve mold to me out there. Yeah, yeah, he, he does go for the, the, the throat, you know, right away. Trolley Stop owner Ragnar Carlson filled us in on how he came to be on Ramsey's show, beginning with him taking over the restaurant from its original owner, Hans Carlson. Yes, my grandfather, Hans Carlson, he opened the restaurant in 1995. And he was one, he had a philosophy, which we still try to, you know, have in the restaurant to this day, is we want to feed anybody that walks through the door. That's why we keep the prices kind of affordable so that anybody could eat there. And he wanted to be open 
around, well, let's say late 2016, he got tired. At this point, he's 92. And he said, you know what? I'm, I'm too old. Uh, I'm going to sell it. And that's when I stepped in and I said, you know what? I'll move back to New Orleans and I'll buy it from you. I want to keep this in the family. There's something special about this restaurant. And, you know, it's been about two years now and I'm still trying to learn the ropes because before I owned the restaurant, I didn't own a restaurant and nothing can prepare you for that. Absolutely nothing can prepare you for that. So you're at about 18 months in. Yeah. And I guess treading water over there, yeah. basically, when Gordon Ramsay comes <laughs> a call. How'd that go? Whew. Well, like you said, you know, it's, I'm about 18 months into it. And I thought to myself, this is an opportunity to do something drastic for the restaurant. I can't just continue doing what I've been doing. I got to do something very different. So at the beginning, it's, it's just the producers. Uh-huh. And they tell you, we are thinking about selecting you as one of our uh, spotlights in an episode for a Fox primetime show. It's pitched to you as a restaurant renovation show. Which, so you're thinking, oh, cool, they're going to come in and freshen up the place. Yeah. And they, they dangled new kitchen equipment in front of you and such? Oh, yeah. I mean, a full, full renovation, you know, which is, you yeah. wouldn't love that, you know? Right. So it's a, you know, it sounded like what it is, you know, it's making a deal with the devil, isn't it? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, 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 it is like that because, you know, I knew it, I mean, we all watch, we all watch television. We know it's not going to be a you know let's hold hands and, and sing together kind of thing. I know there's going to be a catch here somewhere, especially because they're asking me about my personal life. Uh -huh. How are things with your wife? How are things with your grandfather? Okay, so I understand there has to be some kind of drama. They're looking for drama, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm willing to go along with it because it's going to benefit the restaurant greatly. I did not figure out Gordon Ramsay was involved until I was face-to-face -face with Gordon Ramsay. You put the briefcase down. Your expertise is in energy. That's yeah. what you studied. Is that right? Yes, I was an energy consultant. What energy have you put into your restaurant? So did the sheriffs come for you <laughs> with, with lights and sirens ablazing? Actually, yes. This was one of the ones that uh, they kind of like a gotcha moment. You know, because it takes a lot of setup, lights, cables, cameras. Right. There's, there's a whole crew. So they're setting up and I'm thinking, OK, let me go to the restaurant and help out. And they go, no, 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 Ragnar, stay uh, home. home. So they knew where you were. Exactly. Oh, so, OK, I stay home. And then I get a knock on the door and I open it and there's this big sheriff saying, are you Ragnar Carlson? Once I saw the cameras, I kind of pieced it together like, okay, this is happening. What did it feel like in your gut? Were you second thinking what you had <sighs> agreed to? You know, it was, it, was a, it was a lot of mixed emotions because I'm, I'm excited that, I, that my restaurant is going to appear on TV and, and anything that helps the restaurant I'm, I'm willing to do. Right. Um, I'm also, you know, afraid, you know, what's this going to be like? You know, is this going to hurt the restaurant's image too much? 
Or is this... I don't know. So it was, it was bittersweet. Now, I've got 24 hours to turn this business around. And the clock starts now. Get on your phones and explain to the loved ones that you're going nowhere and they can find you in that restaurant. Yes, chef. Did everyone really spend the night at the restaurant? And was it really this 24-hour with the clock ticking? Uh, yes. So the thing I'm most impressed by was his his team. Uh-huh. He has this uh, team of people that were lovely people, and they worked very hard around the clock. So that part is true. I wouldn't say 24 hours on the dot, but very, very close. And as far as myself and my employees, we worked there for several hours. I'd say we worked until into the evening, and then they kind of said, okay, guys, uh, go home, yeah. relax. Okay. You should thank yourselves you haven't killed anybody. Smell that <laughs> That is rancid. The most disgusting kitchen ever. Get it as we've seen in these episodes, he goes through the kitchen and says, this is really dirty, this is really dirty, et cetera, et cetera. You're disgusting, you're, you're disgusting. Like, It's not like the city of New Orleans, the health department, I'm sure, came to visit you on a regular oh, yeah. basis. So what was shown on TV in so many ways was such an unfair exaggeration to anybody who has ever operated a kitchen or run 24 hours yeah. a day. You know, what you said is 100% true. Running a restaurant of any size, 24 hours, is almost suicidal. It's crazy. Uh-huh. Um, because even if you're not at the restaurant working, you are, you're on. Sure. You're always worried about the restaurant. And, um, yeah, you know, for, we, we clean regularly because we pass all our health inspections. So, you know, we weren't able to clean prior to taping. So, yeah, of course, things get dirty. We're cooking, you know. So somehow in all this process, the very professional chef, Gordon Ramsay, begins throwing food at you? Yes. Tell me about that. Well, uh, I was working on some painting of the wall. They call me and they say, look, Gordon wants to talk to you and Aaron and Darren, my general manager and my kitchen manager. So we huddle around the line in the kitchen and he's describing how everything's the worst he's ever seen. He gets to this corned beef, you know, cocked his hand back and threw it across the kitchen. I mean, good aim because it got me in the face. (laughs) I mean, it got me right in the face. And I, I, I mean, at this point, I don't even know what's going on. You know, I'm in shock. Um, but I kept thinking to myself, what I want is for there to be a happy ending for this episode for the restaurant. I want, if this is the low part, then this is the Cinderella story. And if I react poorly, the restaurant won't get the happy ending that it deserves because it, we do a you know, good job there. And I have to say, and I have to say to myself, swallow your pride. This is for the restaurant. Okay, welcome to the Trolley Stop Cafe's new kitchen. Just installed the most amazing toaster. Beautiful, chef. We have a brand new steam table. I like it. A brand new refrigeration unit with windows. Truth be told, they did do, it appears, a lovely renovation of the restaurant. Absolutely. And appropriate. I think the changes were necessary 
Because if you go in there now, the aesthetics are beautiful. Yeah, they are. Yeah, very beautiful. The kitchen was remodeled, and even the outside was remodeled. That is something that I've always felt was necessary, and I was trying to do on my own little by little. But it's hard to afford that kind of change. So one of the, the blessings, if you will, of this experience is that it was all done, boom, on one shot. And I think that was a facelift or a update mm -hmm. that was needed for 2019 onward. And same for the menu. Um, our menu at the time before the show was well over 100 items. Golly. I called it the, the roadmap menu because you opened it <laughs> like a roadmap, almost like you're planning a cross-country trip. It's, it's, it's massive. And it's on a huge menu plus 24 hours. It's very difficult to maintain. And it's doable if you have a lot of volume. But um, as New Orleans change, especially after the storm and the neighborhoods change and people move out to different areas, it just doesn't become feasible anymore. So Gordon Ramsay comes in and what does he do to your menu? So he, he guts it far, far, far more than I would have preferred. For the airing of the show, for that service, um, we were only running on a five-item menu, but that was just for show. After the airing was done and everything's closed, they presented me with what they recommend I run with, which was a, a nice menu, about tops 20 items. We have since doubled the original Gordon Ramsay menu, and we're continuing to add things. And it's, it's, the, it's a restart that we needed so that we can operate better, so that we can make quality food at affordable prices. We can do that now with this menu. It was difficult to do it with a large menu. So they wrapped, they went away. What's happened since? So the show airs, and it's been, it's been surreal. There's been so, all sorts of responses. The closer you, I, we go back to the date of airing, the more mixture of negative and positive reactions. You know, I've had people email me, telling me I'm the worst human ever and that... Perfect strangers, Perfect huh? strangers that I've never talked to and saying that we'll never go to your restaurant. And then I've had other people from, like, I, we got one from Canada saying, you know what, I'm going to go to New Orleans now just so I can eat at your restaurant. And everything in between. Any regrets? Would you do it again? Any words of advice to anybody out there aiming to be on a... Reality TV show? <laughs> I, I don't have regrets. You know, it was a very difficult experience and not what I was expecting it to be. But it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, I think, for, for myself, you know, for the restaurant. So I, I, I don't regret that part of it. But I will say for anyone that's interested in going and trying to be on reality TV shows to understand that the reality part is not what's emphasized. The TV show is what's emphasized. And so if you go there and have that mentality, become flexible, thick-skinned as well, mm -hmm. you will be fine. So Ragnar, mm. is the business going to make it? It will. 
it will. I'm so glad you have such a great attitude and that you're just such a smart businessman. I have all of the admiration in the world for you because I don't like reality TV. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Ragnar. Thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you very much for having me. Ragnar Carlson, owner of the Trolley Stop Cafe in New Orleans. Thursday night, I got my baby at home. I turn the lights down low and turn the TV on. Channel 27 on the late movie. Pretty good thing, and it's called TV, TV. TV. You know the sometimes, baby, it's a pretty good company. As we've heard from Helen Freund and Ragnar Carlson, the cultural phenomenon of reality TV is not, in fact, real. It's scripted in such a way to push the show's narrative. So viewers should assume much of what happens in a show like 24 Hours to Hell and Back is fiction. But in this day and age, it's not just TV that you have to be wary of when it comes to the truth. Soon after Gordon Ramsay's crew left the Trolley Stop Cafe, local social media was abuzz, infuriated by what Ramsay and the Trolley Stop had done to a classic New Orleans dish. The only problem? It didn't actually happen. Local food blogger Emily Hingle is the events editor of Where Yet magazine. She was among a number of bloggers and critics featured dining in the restaurant at the end of the episode, following Ramsey's revamp. Emily and Ragnar described the public outcry that came shortly after the show aired. Well, one big thing that happened, and you could probably talk to Ragnar about this, was the deconstructed po'boy fiasco. <laughs> so, yes, that one is, uh, was very controversial because it didn't happen. A lot of people started commenting on, well, Chef Gordon Ramsay made this po'boy sandwich because he hates New Orleans and a lot of curse words and attacking people, attacking the restaurant, attacking whoever was running the restaurant's social media. They, they called it a deconstructed pole boy. And I've also heard a lot of people say, well, the restaurant was fine the way it was before. How dare you mess up something, mess up my po' boy, mess up this. Back and forth attacking over something extremely simple and something that was kind of predicated on something that wasn't true. So when the show aired and we filmed, when Gordon Ramsay and his team and you see them throwing stuff out of the restaurant and throwing, that's no joke. They threw away everything. Everything. So we finished wrapping on Friday evening and we wanted to open as soon as possible. So on Monday, when we reopened, we only had the stuff that we had for that service, which was for the five-item menu. So we, we said, let's just open it, a soft opening, and we'll explain this to everybody that came in. Some people requested things that were not on the, on the menu, and we did our best to give them what they have. And sometimes people want a pull boy and we say, look, we don't have a pull boy. We don't have the stuff yet because, you know, we, we get Leinheimer bread and we haven't received the shipment yet. You know, this is going to come later on Tuesday. But we can 
We can make you fried shrimp, fried catfish, and, and put it on a bun or, or something that we do have. And that's what we did, trying to make the customers happy. So what happened was somebody went there and got a po' boy. It was served on toast, and there was just a social media firestorm. Nobody suggested it. It was never on our menu. We were just trying to do, we were just trying to help out any way we can. Everybody's fighting over something that literally didn't happen, and it bothered me extremely. Calm down. Emily Hingle of Where Yet Magazine and Ragnar Carlson, owner of the Trolley Stop. Who was the first Food Network star? And how did the madness of reality food TV begin? Stay tuned, and we'll answer that question when we come right back. I'm Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with major support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen. Have you caught our Louisiana Eats Quick Bites podcast yet? Visit poppytooker.com to listen. While there, you can also subscribe to iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts so you won't miss a delicious bite. You can also easily webcast any of the Quick Bites or Louisiana Eats episodes right from your computer on poppytooker.com. And now, back to Louisiana Eats. week's culinary quiz question, brought to you with support from Popeye's Louisiana Culinary Institute. Who was the first Food Network star, and how did the madness of reality food TV begin? David Rosengarten was tapped by friends at the Food Network in 1993 to appear in their very first show, Food News and Views, which he hosted along with Donna Hanover, back when she was Rudy Giuliani's wife and first lady of New York City, and Robin Leach of the Rich and Famous franchise. Soon after, David developed his own show for the network, which he called Taste. Entertainment Weekly called the new show Culinary Voyeurism. In essence, the same thing that a never-satiated audience is experiencing today on shows like Gordon Ramsay's To Hell and Back. The next TV game-changer came with a little Japanese import you might remember, Iron Chef. The original version was produced and aired in Japan in 1993, but morphed into Iron Chef America by January 2005. It's important to note that the great-grandfather of all reality TV, Survivor, began its great run in 1997, whetting America's appetite for human struggle on the boob tube. 
Undoubtedly, it's a combination of all these things that brings us to the sad point we're at with reality food TV today. All I can say is, change the channel, please. Man came by to hook up my cable TV. We settled in for the night, my baby and me. We switched round and round till half past dawn. There was 57 channels and nothing on. 57 channels and nothing on. 57 channels and nothing on. If you're a fan of Bravo's Top Chef, Surely you saw and rooted for our very own Louisiana-born chef Isaac Toops when he competed in the show's 13th season in 2016. Isaac made it all the way to the season finale in Las Vegas, but was told to pack his knives and go home just before the final elimination challenge. When Isaac returned to New Orleans as the season's fan favorite, his new celebrity brought him and his wife Amanda a whole world of opportunities. Over the course of that year, Louisiana Eats had the good fortune to chronicle Isaac's experiences on Top Chef and keep a bird's-eye view on the accompanying fame. After all, since Top Chef, Isaac and Amanda opened a second restaurant, Toop South, right here in our studio's home in the Southern Food and Beverage Museum. Before we hear from Isaac reflecting back on his journey, here are some highlights from our earlier conversations with him and Amanda, both in our studio and at his restaurant, Tube's Meadery, when Top Chef aired in 2016. Hi, Isaac Toops. Chef, owner, partner of Toops Meadery, restaurant in Mid-City in the fabulous city of New Orleans, and uh, chef testing on this season of Top Chef, season 13. So how does Bravo vet you for this? How does this happen? Do you put your name in, or do they get in touch with you? Uh, they got in touch with me, um, and the producers said they had seen a, a certain dirty rice video I did on the Internet. We did a video for Tasting Table. And I got around, and one of the producers said, yeah, I saw that. I knew we had to have you. I was upset. In fact, they were actually upset. They were like, where were you in the New Orleans season? I'm like, I don't know. That's your problem, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, where, where were you? Yeah. <laughs> so, I, probably wouldn't be able, I probably wouldn't have even been able to do it that season. That season we had just opened the restaurant, I'd have probably turned them down. Yeah. So it was actually kind of good that they waited for the California season. Also, it was really nice to not see anybody else from Louisiana. I didn't want to have to fight for that Louisiana uh, pull team. So I was kind of surprised I wasn't the only one, but I was relieved that I was the only one. So so you get the spot and they say, okay, we're flying you to... Right. We're, we're flying you to, uh, to, to uh, Hollywood. Okay. Flight. <laughs> of course. O- okay. <laughs> wow. And you know, it's, it's, it's very hush-hush. They don't give you a whole lot of information. They want it to be a surprise. Mm-hmm. We, when we meet each other on camera, we really are meeting each other for the first time. They want it to be genuine reaction. And that's what I appreciate about the show. Even though they had to be hush-hush a lot of times, you know, they didn't tell you who was the guest judge was going to be until you saw them so you could get a reaction. And, and now that I know that, it's like, this is how you make a good show. So while it's annoying sometimes or keep you in the dark, uh, you realize that it, this is to make a good show and it is to promote the chefs. And I felt they did a good job. They're not really trying to throw anybody under a bus. People do that on their own already. Uh, you know, they sit you down for these long interviews afterwards, and then they cherry-pick the best stuff, and it's obvious, like, oh, yeah, I just – I say what I want to say. Mm-hmm. I don't have to pull any punch anymore. I don't work for corporate anymore, uh, you know, or I, yeah. I don't have to worry about the boss. I don't I only worry, worry about my wife slapping me in the head when I say something stupid on TV. So far, I'm only at one. 
Well, you are really doing an incredible job. How hard has it been to keep all these secrets? Uh, pretty easy. It is? Pretty, yeah. It's, you it's mean pretty, your mom and dad aren't beating you up on it? No, no. I, it's actually it's kind of an enjoyable kind of torture, uh, not telling everyone. You know, you, I'm, I'm actually like, no, you got to watch. <laughs> I could tell you I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd like to know what the watching it experience is really like. Oh, that's the worst. Uh, most of the time I've been watching it uh, live stream, so the first time I'm watching it is the first time everybody else is watching it. Uh, it's unnerving, and if I could put it into relation, uh, you know, people out there, have, have you ever heard yourself in a recording and want, I sound like that? Oh, God, really? That sounds horrible. Multiply that by 100, and you have yourself watching yourself on TV. It's unnerving. I wanted to throw up the whole first episode. I had to get drunk. I was drunk by the end of the first episode at my own bar. Man is like, okay, time to go. I'm fine. Isaac, welcome back to Louisiana Eats. I'm so glad to be catching up with you just like I dreamed right here in the restaurant on viewing night. I have to tell you that my first experience in the restaurant during a Top Chef airing was last week and it was absolutely electric in here but I could just tell that everything you were reliving every misstep everything you wished you had done differently it was weighing on you so hard as I watched you and Amanda sitting at the bar and all I could see was your back and, you know, you're sitting next to him. It was very different sort of body dynamic because your arm was around him. It was clear, like, that you were like, okay, you can lean on me about this. How does it feel from your end? Um, you know, it's a little bit like getting your skin scrubbed off every week, you know, and you feel naked for a second, and then you go, and you get to put it all back on. You put your armor all the way back on, and you go, we got this, we can do this. You know, people say things. But Isaac and I do live by the mantra that if you have haters, you're doing something right. <laughs> Yeah, they, so they, they run into the whole food market again and again on Top Chef. I ran in so fast one time, I ran into the doors before they had time to open. <laughs> and then they tell us, it's like, okay, okay, you, you, know, you have 20 minutes to shop, you have 30 minutes to shop, but don't run real fast and run people over. Well, I like to clock the mini a grandma. <laughs> you clocked many a grandma. No, I, li- I, I almost did. I almost watch did. Out, grandma. Watch out, Grandma. Watch out, watch out, Mama. Mama. Coming, coming through. Entree food. <laughs> a year after Isaac's stint on Top Chef, we sat down together in our studios in the Southern Food and Beverage Museum to learn how being a celebrity had changed his life. Uh, you know, it's, it's all changed for the good and, and just for a little bit for the weird. Uh, the good part is, you know, the meadery got so much business. I mean, the national attention from three months being on television gave us was unmatched as far as advertising and marketing go. Um, I mean, it was probably millions of dollars worth of advertising right there. I, I couldn't do the calculation. But it was great for the restaurant. It really put a lot of uh, people in seats. And let's face it, that's how you that's how you get the bills paid. So, I mean, for a good six months there, you, know, you couldn't make a reservation. And that was great for us. Not so good for the locals who were pissed off. They couldn't come get their, their Friday night seat. But, uh, you know, things have chilled out and we're vi- still very busy. But we had so much business that, hey... We can open up another restaurant. And we did. So, you know, I, I'd be a fool and um, n- non-honest if I said that, you know, Top Chef didn't 
help very much with getting a second restaurant in place. So I've got a lot to uh, thank for that. And at the same time, I probably wouldn't go do it again. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't do it again? I don't know. You know, I don't know. It was it was great. It was great the first time around, but it was just a chore. I mean, mentally and physically and emotionally and, and, and all that, being away from your family and the, the behind the scenes part and the drama and then, you know, watching yourself on TV. It's uh, It was good and weird. Good and weird. Why do you think that Food competition television has replaced stand and stir and everything that existed before it. One word popping, entertainment. And it's, it's also the other word would be drama. People like drama. They like dirty laundry, and that's why people like to watch Real Housewives, and they like to watch Iron Chef and go like, oh, God, what's going to happen next? And while, you know, stand and stir uh, will always have those places, people just kind of want something different nowadays, and that's why guys like, you know, Emeril Lagasse, my, my former boss, made the stir. It was stir and throw and yell, yeah. and people like that. And then you got the off-kilter guys like Alton Brown going, this is kooky and weird. I like it. <laughs> and, you know, I still watch the old uh, Julia and Jock videos from back in the day. Oh, yeah. And Julia Cooks and Hubert Keller with his accent, and I love to watch that. But people want it etched up. People like to see that that competition. Even though people can't taste their food, they like to see that drama. And people are like, oh, and I'm a chef now. I watched Top Chef one time. Well, now that people are familiar with you from TV, how has that affected your persona, your public persona, are you being approached by people all the time who recognize you? Uh, yeah, you know, it, it's hit and miss. Uh, you know, if I'm I, I was, I'm in the airport all the time nowadays, and people pass by me like, are you from Wisconsin? I'm like, <laughs> no. Um, you don't work in the New Orleans culinary industry? No. You're not from Lafayette, are you? No. Do you watch Top Chef? Yes. And then they go, oh! It happens a lot more often when I'm wearing my chef coat. Uh-huh. And they look at my face and go and make that make that face that says, "Man, where do I know that guy from?" And look at my jacket and go, oh, "You're Isaac oh. Toops." And I'm like, "Oh God, oh God, oh God." Oh. And sometimes you know it's it's very it's flattering it's flattering what it is. And sometimes it's, it can be unnerving. I've had people you know, my kids are screaming in my arms and, and someone comes running after me for a selfie. I'm like, "Really, dude?" Yeah. But you know, I'm always I'm always nice about it, and most people are very friendly about it. There's always going to be some jerks in the pack, but most of the notoriety is very cool. So there have to be other doors that have opened, too. Uh, yeah, you know, I actually have um, uh, Isaac Takes On on BravoTV.com. Uh, it's another little web series that we put together. We shot 10 episodes of me on a, a celebrity cruise ship uh, going to the islands and battling Chef Enrique for a ceviche battle, uh, you know, and then going having um, a fungal battle on another island and then going on the cruise ship and challenging a, a, a classic trained French pastry chef and a tableside dessert. I won't tell you who won. <laughs> what other things are in the works for you, Isaac? Uh, you know, we got a bunch of things going on. We've got another little production thing, which I can't be too much detailed on, which might happen. You never know. You never TV, know. TV's kind of weird. It's like, we don't know, we don't know, we don't know. Hey, in two days, can you film a series? Like, okay, come on. Uh-huh. But uh, so we've got a lot of irons at the fire, and we're always very busy. We're always traveling. We're in New York next week on being the Andy Cohen show. Uh, we'll do the uh, the the Today Show next month. It'll be the fourth time doing that. So I'm always doing something, Poppy. And I'm of the mindset that anytime anybody asks me to do anything, I do it. Because you never know what's going to be good. You never know what's going to get out to another people's ear to get people in your restaurant. And that's the bread and butter. Our friend and neighbor, Isaac Toop. Since we first aired this story in 2017, 
Isaac went on to co-write Chasing the Gator, which made the New York Times' best cookbook list in the fall of 2018. Isaac continues to be a regular guest on the Today Show and is currently hard at work filming his own series for the Food Network. it for this week's edition of Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Catch up on previous editions and hear all about upcoming special events by visiting poppytooker.com. You can find videos, recipes, and even order cookbooks there. Louisiana Eats is made possible with major support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen, Zatarans, and from Camellia Brand Beans. Additional support for Louisiana Eats is provided by the Shreveport Bossier Convention and Tourist Bureau and from the Bourbon House. From oysters to redfish, serving fresh Gulf seafood and American whiskey on Bourbon Street. Original theme music composed by David Pomerlo and performed by Johnny Sketch and the Dirty Notes. Big thanks to senior producer Joe Schreiner and special projects manager Reggie Morris. And to our business manager and social media maven, Maddie Mulladew. Come visit us anytime in our Louisiana Eats studios at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum. We're on Instagram and Facebook, too. Louisiana Eats is a production of Poppy Tooker Broadcasting. <laughs>